The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. All right, folks, I am Dustin Gold, and you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv. As many of you on the video side of the broadcast over at Payne.tv see, I'm not sitting in my normal set. I don't have my regular software running my show, my flashy and fancy production going on over here because, as some of you know, others do not, I am broadcasting from Poland for the next few weeks, but over the next couple of days, I'm doing a workaround trying to get this other piece of software I have um, up to speed and working correctly so that I can analyze videos and articles for you as I did in the first several podcasts at the Dust and Gold Standard. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my experiences here in Poland before we get into an interview that I recorded last Monday which aired on the Thomas Paine podcast as I filled in for Commander Mike Moore. It is an interview with Legal Man, who you could find on Twitter at U.S. Law Review. That's at U.S. Law Review. Or on all the podcast platforms at The Quash, Q-U-A-S-H. If you like his content, you can get more over at Patreon. Just search for The Quash, and you can get that content. I'm going to re-air it here for the Sunday night, Monday morning broadcast. So those of you who missed it on the Thomas Paine podcast, you can listen because we get into some great topics that tie into the theme of this show, which is the technocracy. And then we talk about the history of our country. And Legal Man has great content. I've listened to every one of his podcasts. I'm a huge fan on the Constitution and the difference between the Constitution and the Articles of Confederation and how the Constitution either does not have the power to prevent the situation that we find ourselves in or the Constitution was actually designed to end up putting us in the situation that we find ourselves in. Either way, it doesn't really matter because we are in this situation and the Constitution is not stopping it. But as Legal Man brings up the point that if the Constitution was designed to stop it and you truly believe that the Constitution was this document that protected our liberty and our freedom, then you have to also understand that that concept completely died during the Civil War. Because when Lincoln waged war on the South, who had already voted to leave the Union and start their own country, Lincoln went in there by force, killing men, women, and children to force them back into what we would call a voluntary union, and you cannot have a voluntary union by force, particularly by military force at gunpoint with the threat of death. And so we get into that. We talk a little bit about Yuval Noah Harari and some of the players in the technocracy. It's a very wide-ranging interview. If you haven't listened, I recommend you do it. And we will be doing a lot more interviews here. And so, as I said, over the next few weeks, I'll be here in Poland. Next week, uh, or this week, because this will air Monday, 
I am going to begin reviewing a document for you called Industrial Society and Its Future that was written over 20 years ago by an author who predicted exactly the situation we find ourselves in in regards to this technocratic world that we are living in and moving further into every day. And so I really wanted to show this to you. Now, it is available in an audiobook form, I believe on YouTube. I don't know if it was ever published as an audiobook. It was not good. And so what I want to do is read it to you while I analyze it in relation to what's going on today so I can show you how this person who wrote it, that we will get into that during that series, um, really was able to see exactly where we are today over 20 years ago. Now, I owe you part four of the Elon Musk series, which is the part where we're going to get really into depth on Neuralink. So far, we broke down Elon Musk's history of his fork tongue bullshit, okay, where he claims to be warning about artificial intelligence while at the same time building it. We got into Dennis Bushnell, who is the NASA chief scientist for the last 40 years, who openly talks about brain chips and admitted to, in a 2018 speech, that there were over 200,000 humans with brain chips in their heads. He already calls all humans cyborgs, as does Elon Musk, and we showed that. We reviewed Elon Musk's interview with Joe Rogan on the Joe Rogan Experience from 2018 and the interview from 2020 and really broke those down for you and tied that into what Ray Kurzweil talks about, which is this eternal quest for immortality. And so we broke that down for you as well. And in the last piece, we are going to go further into the Neuralink brain chip program and then show you the money men behind it, the venture capitalists, the venture firms and such. But I really need to get this sort of bridge software figured out because I have to show you about 35 different uh, Google articles that I have bookmarked uh, where we break down exactly who is behind Neuralink, and you need to see the connections to the CIA, you need to see the connections to venture firms that are involved in artificial intelligence, because they're trying to promote Neuralink at first as some kind of saving grace for people with injuries, disease, paralysis, and then they're also trying to push it towards the younger kids that how great would it be to have access to your iPhone right inside your own head and be able to play video games inside your own head. And so you need to be able to see that as well so you could warn your children and grandchildren as to the dangers of Neuralink that it's really not a good idea to hook your brain up to this artificial intelligence AI hive mind. And so I'm going to get that done this week as soon as I can get this software squared away uh, with the Young Bucks back at headquarters over at pain.tv. So we're going to figure that out, and then I'm going to get that out. But in the meantime, this content I'm going to do on the paper, Industrial Society and Its Future, is going to be fantastic. And then we're also going to do a piece on a company called AI Foundation, run by a guy named Lars Butler. And AI Foundation has been focusing on for the last five years what they call mind twins, which is very important because it ties right into Ray Kurzweil and Elon Musk, 
discussing the ability to upload your consciousness to the cloud and then retrieve that consciousness and download it like a data packet into another biological or non-biological body suit, basically another version of your, your body that you see when you look in the mirror. And AI Foundation really pushes this concept of mind twins and focuses on uploading your consciousness to the cloud and being able to beam it down into your twin, which is an AI avatar of yourself or whatever you really want it to physically look like. And so we're going to do that as well. I can do that with this limited software that I have now. But I want to also say here in Poland, it's been great. My, my father and mother-in-law, fantastic hosts. I've been eating all kinds of amazing food. They have a smoker, big smoker right here on the property that my father-in-law built with a friend. And so they smoke these uh, hams and bacon. It's basically deli meat. We just had some smoked cheese that he did. Last night we had some smoked fish. So I went out with him to this fish market. The area that I'm in is very rural. It reminds me of the United States about 30, 40 years ago when, uh, when I was growing up. Uh, I drove around their car. It's a stick shift, uh, manual transmission, uh, not automatic. And so you go into uh, town, you buy fish from this market, and live fish that they scoop out of sort of this uh, chamber in the ground, like a hole in the ground. And then we brought it back here, and he cleaned it and chopped it up and salted it, and then he put it in his smoker. So it wasn't like a, a fish you would smoke uh, you know, for dinner, it was like a salted, dried smoked fish. It was a trout. In the U.S., you could usually get it at a deli or a Jewish deli or something, and it's like a white fish, but it was uh, phenomenal. And then this morning, we had a bunch of smoked hams and bacon that he did yesterday as well, along with some cheese. So we've been having some great food, and then we're about to head out to his brother's house, where we're going to stay tonight, and then tomorrow, we're going to go to his uncle's farm huge organic farm goes back uh, generations and i'm going to film there um, as well also i've been learning a little bit about making whiskey he distills whiskey that he uses as a barter item trades with neighbors and people like that for other things so it's really cool and then you know property here is actually really cheap if you made u.s money and were able to live here you would basically live like a king i went to the town delhi yesterday and i bought uh, cabanos or cabanose, uh, like these dried beef sticks, uh, and beef and pork sticks. I love them. We get them from the Polish deli back in Maryland, but here they're nice and fresh. And so I got about 10 of them and they're, they're about, uh, I'd say 16 inches, 18 inches. And then I got two fat ones and then a big hunk of this smoked ham. And it came out to the equivalent of $8, you know, us dollars which would have been about 30 to $35 at the Polish Deli back in Maryland. And then I picked up two six-packs of beer bottles for my brother-in-law and father-in-law, and it cost me a total of $7 U.S. It would have been probably about $12 per six-pack back in Maryland. So you can see uh, the difference in prices. I think the fresh fish, the trout, they were probably about you know, this big. Uh, I put some pictures up at pain.tv or at my Twitter at hackable animal or on my facebook uh just look up dustin gold and i put pictures up there but i think he picked up about eight fresh live fish and it came out to the equivalent of about eight or nine u.s dollars so amazingly cheap because i don't know in the states that might have cost um 
oh God, eight fish like eight live fish like that. I don't know, $10, $12 a piece or something. So almost $100. So, so far, that's pretty amazing. Also, I'm learning a little bit. You know, this is an interesting area because Poland was under fascist, you know, Nazi control. Then it was under Soviet control, under communism. And then, you know, shortly after that, my wife was about eight or nine when they did the deal to get out of communism. And then shortly after that, they joined the uh, EU, the European Union, so right back into big government again. But uh, some of the stuff I'm learning here is interesting. I mean, the taxes and the way it works here. You know, some people call it uh, fascism. Some call it communism. In the United States, we call it capitalism. At the end of the day, I don't believe anybody really has any freedom or liberty, frankly. You know, and any day, as Legal Man discusses in the interview you're about to hear, the government can get you anywhere, anytime it wants. And so this idea that in the United States we somehow have freedom is insanity, but, you know, we share the fact that we don't have freedom with all of these other places as well. So, as I said, I'm going to get back to the final piece of the Must series, and I'm going to roll out this series on industrial society and its future, as well as the standalone piece on the company AI Foundation. So in the meantime, uh, let me play this interview for you with Legal Man. I hope you enjoy it. If you already heard it, just you know, bow out. You don't need to leave a bad review on iTunes and say, I already heard this at the Thomas Paine podcast, because I know there's someone who left a bad review on iTunes. Not that I care, but they were mad at episode six because I poked fun at Trump. I said from the beginning, I am uh, post-politics. I don't love Trump. I don't love Biden. I hate everybody in politics and in government, to be honest with you. So I'm going to make fun of everyone equally. And I will talk about the technocracy. I will talk about where we are going, what our future looks like, and how we are going to best navigate it. And in the meantime, I will poke fun at these people when I feel like it, because it is the only way to keep your sanity in this crazy world that we find ourselves in. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a quick commercial break and jump right into this interview with Legal Man. I am Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. We made it through to the other side. I am Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. And as you notice, I am not wearing my trademark gold sunglasses. I'm not going to wear them when I have to talk to a, talk to a guest here on the show. I know you guys have been waiting for this. Uh, you loved hearing him on Mike Moore's podcast on the ThomasPayne.tv network. This is Legal Man, and you guys need to check out his podcast on all the podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, where most people listen to, that's called The Quash, Q-U-A-S-H, and you need to check him out at U.S. Law Review on Twitter this guy is going to knock your socks off, and it's right up our alley because, like us, he's black-pilled to hell. I actually call him the cyanide pill. 
You have to understand the truth. You have to accept the truth if you want to make it out to the other side and be able to navigate the future that lies ahead for us. Ladies and gentlemen, Legal Man. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great, man. You you have the best Twitter account going, I think. <laughs> Unfortunately, you should be at about 5 million followers, but the way that Twitter works, you've been stuck at 50,000 since I've been following you for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't let me move, that's for sure. They actually moved me down a lot. <laughs> that's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> that's utterly preposterous. It's crazy. I, I lost like 12 big Twitter accounts from 2015 to now. And Mike Moore of uh, Pain.TV, he had like two mega accounts. I think one of them was half a million or more, and they took that away from him. Interestingly enough, it was when Trump retweeted him one time, and then the next day he lost his account. It was a kiss of death. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you, you can't pull – you, as soon as you start getting any kind of traction, you know, they, they want to stop that. That's all. Yeah, so before we get into uh, this video, this was a tweet that you sent out yesterday, and I think it's really important because my audience here knows we talk about the technocracy, the players behind it, this uh, crazy system, which we'll get into, that they're actually building around us, this prison planet. And you put out this tweet with the uh, high priest, the king philosopher of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab's right-hand man, Yuval Noah Harari, who is one of the most evil Men on the planet, uh, right here on the show, we do them all the time. He's like, you have no soul. You have no free will. You have no spirit. Welcome to the false industrial revolution, my hackable animal friends. And so you put this out and, and you get crazy comments on there from people that just, they don't want to believe it. Oh, he's, he's a pansy. He's this. I beat him up. I'll give him a wedgie. I mean, what do you, what do you think of that? I think it's not that surprising. Um, most people, they can't face how bad the situation is. So when you give them a, a absolutely crystal clear example like that, they revert back to that same kind of stuff of, well, you know, people are catching on and, and the great awakenings happening and you can just ignore them. And why don't you just, you know, check out and you know, that, all those same kind of things I get all the time with this idea that somehow you're going to be able to hide from it by uh, trading and bartering in some uh, community somewhere. It's not going to happen. Uh, that just, none of that's going to happen. But the people, they don't want to face that. Well, and the fact of the matter is, it's it's like here, I've kind of developed this concept, uh, like the gold pill, which is like you're fully black-pilled and then you're white-pilled where you, where you know there's nothing you can do to stop this stuff. It's out of your control. And then white-pilled is like, well, we have to go do something about it. And the gold pill is, we'll get off your ass and do something about it. So no one seems to really be like, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to barter. Really? You're still living in your one-bedroom apartment in the middle of a city somewhere. So what moves have you actually made to, to make that a reality? Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, my number one thing that I push is the jury trials. I, I still think that's, if people understood it, I doubt we're going to get enough people, but we don't need that many. If they understood how to use that power of jury nullification, um, they wouldn't be able to do any of the stuff because then they can't change the rules any longer. But eh, it's pretty unlikely people are going to catch Well, well yeah, and, and, and we'll get into that a little later because I think the jury nullification, and as you explain it in detail, I mean, in, in your podcast, 
is fantastic. The issue that I think we're facing right now is we have this sort of this bridge where we're moving from what Klaus Schwab would refer to as the third industrial era into the fourth industrial era. And so right now, the fact that we could utilize government and the court systems to be able to stop them from enforcing some of these policies and these edicts and these laws works right now. But once this moves into a full technocratic state, a full prison planet, then that's out the window too, because they don't need to bring you to court anymore. Now they just shut your bank account off. Now they just turn off your cyber currency, the CBDC that they're going to give you, and you won't be able to go shopping in your own neighborhood. Right. I mean, that's it's all it's going to take. Literally, you just say something you shouldn't say, and all of a sudden you get noticed like a text comes through on your phone that just says, you know, X, Y, and Z has been limited, and now you can't do this and that. And if you do try to, they've got a tracking device of some sort on you and or they have automatically deducted out of your account and, and sanction you again. And it's, it's completely Kafka-esque insanity mixed with high tech. It's just, it's going to be bad. Oh, definitely. Let's... Let's look at this video that you had uh, posted your tweet to. I just want to play it for our audience. And, and we played yeah. um, Yuval Clips uh, on this show, and I've analyzed them right alongside what Elon Musk has been talking about, what Ray Kurzweil, who is a chief engineer at Google and who's been working on this stuff for you know decades. Decades, and, yes. Yeah, and when you put the pieces together, uh, I mean, I've been diving deep, reading a lot of articles going into the past. I mean, People think Yuval and Elon and Ray, uh, Eric Schmidt, these guys are all separate. They're, not, they're actually all talking about the same exact plan, which is they are trying to develop this uh, AI hive mind neocortex. And it's like a third layer of your brain, of your neocortex that sits up in the cloud. And you're going to have Elon Musk Neuralink uh, chip, brain chip. This is the first iteration installed in your head. You upload your consciousness. So it's legal man up in this little lockbox. <laughs> and then you can jump bodies like Ray Kurzweil and even Musk. I've got videos of him talking about it where you will be able to have a new biological body. So your rotting body, you could throw it away or a non-biological nanoparticle body like a robot and literally beam your consciousness now. And then they're promising you it's going to be an AI hive mind of all of these brains, all these thoughts that you can beam in and be super intelligent. And Kurzweil, his ultimate goal is immortality. Like he's like, he takes all these drugs and intravenous drugs. He's like, if I could make it 10 more years, then uh, we could get to the step where I'll be immortal. I mean, this is truly what these crazy guys believe. Have wow. you, have you, I mean, you've dug deep. I could tell from your tweets and side comments, sidebar you make on your podcast. I mean, you've been studying this stuff for many years, right? <laughs> yeah, I've seen what they're doing. Um, I don't know how much I know about the technical stuff, but I know about their motives and their desires and whether they can pull it off or not. I don't know, but whatever it is they pull off, it's not going to be to bring all of humanity into it. That much I know. Uh, I know I won't be part of this. This things they talk about it, they sell it in this these grandiose ideas that we're all going to be doing this. All it's not really all that. There's going to be a few of them going to get to do it, and everybody else is going to get basically you know rejected and, and put into some kind of you know, crap body or or just nothing and just turn you off. They're not going to 
bring us all into it. That's to me, that's the obvious part. If they were actually going to do all this stuff and there was actually going to be a choice for everybody to actually do all this super cool stuff and to be in a new box. Okay, well, then maybe I wouldn't think it was that bad, but I know that's not what they're going to do. And so what I hear them say when I read between the lines is that they're going to get to do all this stuff and we're either going to go away or we're going to get stuffed into a slave body and we're going to work in there. And if you're not just a prisoner, like I said, or just simply in some kind of torture chamber, it's the they're not doing it for my benefit. Okay, they're not. That's it. They're not. Yeah, that's what I always tell the audience. I know that Yuval Harari does not love me, okay? I know the government, the people in the government do not love me. They don't wake up every day thinking about how to stop disease and COVID from killing me because they're great, wonderful humanitarians who wake up. And I I tell the audience, if you know people that actually believe that Dr. Fauci wakes up every day thinking about how to cure you, then you are a narcissist. Because if you truly believe these people love you, and Elon right. Musk and Yuval Harari and these guys wake up every day to figure out how to give you immortality when they also claim that the world is overpopulated. So now they're going right. to have overpopulation infinity. <laughs> like, a, how does that even make sense? I try to break things down into common sense like you do. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a simple matter. And that is that if I was in their position, would I want to bring all of these mutant scooter people in with me to some <laughs> heavenly thing? No, I wouldn't. Now, I'm not evil, so I don't, I don't try to figure out how I can screw them over, but I don't care to participate with them either. So I understand that part of their thinking that the vast majority of people really are pretty useless in many ways, but they've been kind of made useless in a lot of ways by the stuff these other people have been doing, not really so much because they're innately bad people. And, uh, but I mean, 100%, if anyone who's thinking these people are actually give a crap about, I'd be surprised they even care about a lot of their own family. I mean, these people will literally do anything, anything to achieve their goals for themselves only. That's it. And anyone that comes along with them, uh, they only bring them along because they feel like they have to, they need to, no different than any other kind of crime kind of activity. You have to have other criminals around until you think you can double cross them and get away with it. And then you do. And that's the way they operate. Oh, a hundred percent. And I'm working on a show now that picks up what you were just talking about, because I love your podcast on the mutant people, uh, the after hours <laughs> podcast and anyone listening, you got to go to Apple podcasts or wherever you get podcasts and look up the quash. And you could also join legal man's Patreon and follow him on Twitter at us law review, because he explains the mutant people and what I've, as I've been dissecting all the plans, the mutant people are part of this. They have to create these mutant people. And he's talking about these people you see that are literally three, four times the body weight they're supposed to be with giant necks and like a belly hanging off their shoulder and they're walking around and Walmart (laughs) one eyes hanging out. And because that's part of the problem reaction solution. So they have to create the problem of these rotting bodies. They feed us garbage food, lab meat, all this nonsense, because then they could say, look, your body's rotting. You put the brain chip in your head and we could solve that for you the same way that this push for the, uh, 
transgender movement is just a bridge to transhumanism because they have to erase gender and sex and even your your own dignity as a human. You have to hate yourself because you're a polluter, hate yourself because you're white, be a victim because you're black. They always have to make you hate humanity in order to bring you into this technocracy that they want to usher us into. That's a good point. So let's watch this uh, video real quick of Yuval Harari because this was a, this was actually a good uh, a good clip up that somebody did uh, here. Studying yeah, the past, his Israeli roots are of crucial importance to the formation of his view of the future. He's now using all of that knowledge to give us his vision for the future. <laughs> uh, with especially the rise of brain-computer interfaces and biometric sensors and so forth, it is very likely that within, say, 50 years, people will literally be part of a network. All the bodies, all the brains would be connected together to a network, and you won't be able to survive if you're disconnected from the net. And our audience is familiar. That's what Elon Musk calls the cybernetic collective and that we humans are just nodes on the net. Because your own body parts, your own immune system, perhaps depends on being constantly connected to the colony, to the network. The new powers that we are gaining now, especially the powers of biotechnology and artificial intelligence, are really going to transform us into gods. And I don't mean this as a kind of literary metaphor. I mean it in a, lit in, 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 in a literal sense that humans are acquiring divine abilities, especially the ability to create and to design life. Yeah, and that's what uh, Elon Musk and Ray Kurzweil calls, uh, and Dennis Bushnell, who's 40-year chief scientist at NASA, they call it the end of human evolution. This is the human evolution of humans, where humans will start actually uh, hacking and creating um, our own evolution. And so what, what I want to bring up, because I don't need to get to the end of this, but I want to just take this from your perspective as a lawyer who sits in front of judges. And so people in your audience and my audience, people that stumble upon us, they can laugh at him and they could say, yeah, the guy's weird, he's crazy, he's whatever. But as I said, he's influential and he wields power. The most powerful men on earth from CEOs and heads to state sit in a room and listen to this guy tell them that the humans have no soul, they have no spirit, they have no free will, and they are hackable animals. Now, if you're a lawyer in a courtroom, uh, you're representing a client, you're a defense attorney. This guy's facing 20 years in prison, right? You as a lawyer say you truly believe this guy's innocent. You're sitting in front of a judge who's a total loser scumbag. You've gone in front of him over the years, and your client's going, ah, he's a loser, who cares? He just looks like a weenie, I'll give him a wedgie. And you're saying, yeah, but this man can literally put you away for the rest of your life. Right, I mean, the fact is the people don't want to face the way decisions are actually being made, that doesn't affect the decision being made. It's going to happen whether you like it or not, uh, unless you work within the system that exists. That's the only solution. You have to understand that guys like that 
Uh, he, he seems like a joker and you don't really see where he works and you see him talk and you think, well, who cares? Why would you even listen to him? Well, because all it takes is for someone to listen to him that can just push a button and make things happen. Make armed men start doing things that you don't want. And as soon as that happens, well, you, how do you get to him? It's no different than uh, Dr. Strangelove and down there in the bunker. Uh, yeah, maybe you think he's a kook. Okay, but he's He's the one they're listening to. And so that guy there, you see, there's, that's, that's a guy they're definitely listening to. He, they are listening to him. Yeah, and that's like I pointed out to my audience. I did a couple of shows on Ray Kurzweil. I said, yeah, I mean, the guy comes across like Woody Allen's uh, twin brother, right. but he's chief engineer at Google. He wields power. They're actually letting him develop these crazy schemes and these blueprints that he's put together over the years, they're giving him the money and the budgets to go and architect this. We just did a show a couple of days ago where I dove deep into a new frictionless shopping company and I showed the money behind that is Israeli defense. And then I showed Instacart, which is the largest grocery gig app here in the United States. The money behind that, the venture capitalists are all partners within QTEL, which is the CIA's hedge fund. So Everything we're looking at that, that comes out of Silicon Valley is backed by government, intelligence, military money. I mean, the whole system, and we're going to get into the government here and the, and the history of our country, but the whole system is controlled with this money from the government. And the thing that I love that you've said on a couple of shows, and this is probably one of the most important things I've ever heard, is people need to get out of this mindset that the government is incompetent and that everything is run by corporations. You make the point that the government is the most competent corporation organization in the world, no matter what country you're in, because they control everything. How could there ever be anything any more successful than government? There's literally multiple ones in every country. You're subject to multiple ones. There's literally nothing you can do. They control everybody and everything in the world. How can that not be successful? I just, I don't get it. If you don't like what they do, they can just come kill you. Um, that's a very successful entity. And it's hugely important that people understand that the reason they think it's incompetent is because they are given phony baloney metrics to judge it by that aren't accurate, that all rely on this idea that the government's there to help you. It's not, it's there to control you. Is it being successful? Yes, look how much control it has. It's being very successful. You have to analyze it properly. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, 100%. And the thing is, I mean, it, you make the point, too. I think it was one of the episodes, you know, try to see how free you are here in this giant freedom machine we call America. Drive down the highway 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. And when the cop pulls you over, don't pull over. And make him right. pull you over. Then when he comes and says, get out of your car, put your hands on the hood of the car, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And he either tasers you or shoots you in the head while you're you. in the car. <laughs> I get this all the time from people. Oh, I don't have a problem with police. You don't have a problem because you do whatever they say. I mean, you're never going to have a problem with somebody. You do everything they say. That That's nonsensical. The only way you find out whether you have a problem with somebody is you don't do what they say and you see what happens then. And with the state, it's just obvious as hell. Try doing anything against what you're told you have to do and see what happens. Just 
Go see what happens. Even with a minor thing like a parking ticket or a speed or not turning left or not using your signal or not using a signal to change lanes. See what happens when you interact with a cop, when you, when you dutifully roll your window down or you don't even pull over and you just ignore him. You see what happens. He's going to chase you. He's going to get his buddies. They're going to eventually you're going wherever you're going. They're going to be there and it's not going to end well for you. And so, yes, it's nonsensical. Oh, yeah. And I think the other point you made uh, as far as people perceiving government as incompetent, it's perceived as incompetent because we are interacting. They allow us to interact with the intentionally incompetent parts of government, the DMV, sure. watching these jokers on C-SPAN. And so their solution as the government, as the most powerful entity on earth, to every time we complain that something is incompetent or they're wasting money is more government. That's always right. the solution. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, they, the government loves incompetence. It, it highly encourages it at every kind of level because that just plays on that entire scam they run about it being they're dumb and liberals are dumb. Well, if liberals are so dumb, how come they're winning? I don't understand. <laughs> if they're so dumb, why are they winning all the time? I don't get it. It should be easy. I, actually, dumb people, I have no problem overcoming them. But I, if they're just playing dumb like Columbo, uh, they're not actually dumb. They're coming for you. And the way the government works is they put all the incompetence like Rachel Levine and stupid asses like that out in front, Joe Biden, uh, just these jokers. And those people, they see them and they think, oh, they're stupid. Well, they want them, you to be stupid uh, as an appearance, as they continue to grow results. And all you have to do is ask, has government power and control, size, debt, has it grown or shrunk? If it's growing, then then government's winning. That there's no other measure that it takes, but that government is taking over more and more and more and more every single day. Just yeah, and, bottom line. And, yeah, and the uh, and the liberals they're so dumb that they were <laughs> able to steal an election from Donald right. Trump while he was president. But Trump is so smart that he's going to win in 2024 <laughs> and overcome <laughs> fraud while he's not president. See, right. that's, it's, that's amazing. It's, it's just incredible the tortured logic that they have to jump through in order to maintain the cognitive dissonance uh, from just blowing their heads up. And, uh, you know, that's, it's a major problem we have. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now speaking of uh, government here, this is another great reoccurring theme on your show because, uh, you're always uh, exposing uh, the, the constitutional conservative frauds like uh, like Mark Levin, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> these purveyors of the Constitution. <laughs> Only I know the Constitution. And so you've got this theme. And, like, I, don't, I, I, I mean, I have my personal beliefs on the military and uh, the police. My father was a cop. Uh, Mike Moore was in law enforcement. There's a lot of good individuals out there. Sadly, at the end of the day, you know, I'm sorry if you're in the audience, but the truth is you take orders. But listen, you're no different than the rest of us. The rest of right. us, you know, legal man could lose his law license if he steps out of line and somebody doesn't like it. You know, I could lose my job if I step out of line and somebody doesn't right. like it. But you've got this theme, which is uh, the guy driving down the street. I particularly saw this when I lived in Nashville, who's got the don't tread on me bumper sticker next to the uh, back the blue bumper sticker and you're like it's the biggest contradiction uh because the people 
uh, the blue are the guys who are going to enforce the laws that are actually treading on you. Yes. It's, it's, I don't get it. I don't understand how that's not obvious that if you don't want to be tread on, that you can't support the treaders. It doesn't make sense. The people who are they're going to send to come get you is not Tony Fauci. It's not that Yuval guy. He's not going to come do it. They're going to send big, strong dudes who are trained and like to kick ass to your house. And that's it. And your options at that point basically are to die or to die trying. <laughs> that's really it. You're, you're going to lose that battle. You're never, ever going to win in a force situation against the state. Might you win and get away briefly from a cop or two? Yeah. But now what? You're the rest of your life. You're on the run. You think you can pull that off? That's not going to work. Your life is now over. And so, yeah, I don't understand why it is people can't see that outside of literally 24-7 brainwashing uh, by media, academia, and government all the time about how much law enforcement and the military are there to help us, protect us, save us. They show them saving people and liberty and freedom. And they just show it all the time. And so people just can't sort that reality. They just can't. Oh, yeah, I know. And especially conservatives, because they, they've been, I mean, going all the way back to Nixon, you know, this law and order mentality. But the fact is, we're, we complain about the laws, right? We complain about all these laws, all that. Well, when the left is in there, when the liberals are in there, we don't like the laws they make. Right. Well, these are the guys who go and they, they have to enforce the laws. That is their job. You don't think that, I mean, look, I had a situation back in my 20s. I was fighting the city of New Haven, uh, Connecticut. It was an entrenched, terrible mayor there, and uh, he hated me. He didn't even want me in City Hall. And so all these cops that I knew through my father, uh, his friends, and then their kids that became cops, they would whisper in my ear, yeah, we hate the guy. But at the end of the day, they lined up in front of City Hall, and they blocked me and told me if I tried to come in, I was going to get arrested. So right. at the end of the day, they took their marching orders from the chief, who was a political appointee of the mayor. And that's just the way it works. There's no way around it. Their job is to so-called enforce the law, which they have been brainwashed into believing since they're completely basically immune from any personal liability or responsibility as long as they stay within these made-up rules. Their idea of it is to do whatever they're told, follow procedure, protocol, that's it. As long as you do that uh, when you work for the government, then you really nothing is gonna happen to you. And if you step outside there and try to do what's right, that's when something can happen to you. That's when you lose your protection. And so they've set the system up so that it's a, it's a self-reinforcing system that as long as you obey the rules, you're fine. And as soon as you don't obey the rules because you don't think the rules are right, well, now you're actually facing trouble. And so they shuffle it all off, just like they do tell they try to blame the voters for the problem that we didn't get organized enough. They blame the same thing of tell it to the judge. I'm not in charge of this system. I'm just doing my job, blah, 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 blah. Well, everybody in every single link of that chain uh, is just doing their job. And the job results in gross injustice. And then they turn and blame the voters for not getting the right people in there. And it's our fault for not getting organized and blah. It's, they always have an excuse for why it's not the fault of the system and the government that's set up. And it's really just a brilliant cover 
that it's almost impossible to get through the vast majority of people because they're completely convinced that the only alternative to that is chaos, chaos, murder and rape all over the place. That's what they're in effect told each time that if you don't do this, that's what the only other alternative is that is this chaos. It's just not true. Oh, 100. Look, and that's the same thing they're doing with this uh, AI hive mind neocortex I was talking about. Elon Musk is the guy building it, but then he's out there pretending that he's warning <laughs> about it. And he's saying, like, AI will surpass us and overcome humanity if we don't put governing procedures into place and me and Bingo. my buddies are going to sit in charge of the governing committee and we'll oversee the technology we're building that could be the end of humanity. But as long as we're in charge of it for the rest of time, everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. Yes. Every single movie, if you watch every single kind of sci-fi movie, it's always the same. There's some giant government and everybody's always fighting to get control of the government and the wrong people. They're, but of course, they always show good people and they're fighting for you. That's the bullshit part. But the underlying narrative parts never, ever question this idea that there's government. There's always going to be this big, giant government we have to try to make benevolent and that evil people somehow get in there. And then there's all these good people in there. That's the deep brainwashing that they've driven everybody into the same kind of concept that this technology is somehow just magically appearing and being implemented and all this other stupid crap, uh, which is all 100% driven and enabled by government. And yet the idea that the solution to all of this is to have government oversee it. And that's every kind of movie, TV show, anything you watch ultimately has all those narratives built into them. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you as a lawyer, I mean, you've been practicing law for decades. So, if you go to almost any city, any town, if, if you've got relatives there that are police, no police, and you talk to cops, I'm talking just like regular blue collar sort of old school cops, the tough guys, not these liberal sort of pansies they put in over the years intentionally and these mutant people. Now, you have, have you ever heard of a case, right, where a group of cops, now you know, they all know that the politicians in their community are corrupt. They all talk around the water cooler when is the last time you saw a group of these good cops get together and just arrest a politician and they know they're breaking the law all the time have you ever seen that no i've never seen it i've also don't see any organizations that are are devoted that are police organizations devoted to exposing bad cops where are those they supposedly handle with internal affairs okay well that's just more cops that's i'm sorry that's that's just the system, which is already fully corrupt, saying it's going to use it to clean up. So they aren't ever going to do anything because, and like I said, I don't blame a lot of them because like you said, a lot of them go into it for the right reasons. I'm completely convinced they're, they believe the law and order narrative and the God and country and protecting people. And, you know, they want to do the right thing. Then they get into it and they realize it's not really like that. And they're somewhat stuck. And if they don't get out quickly, then they're kind of in till the pension's up kind of thing. And they kind of coast and go on just kind of blocking it out. And they know that if they stick their neck out and go arrest some politician, that nobody has their back. See, nobody has their back. And, and so I'm sure that they just think, well, why am I going to blow myself up? Uh, why am I going to blow myself up and, uh, and do something like that and wreck myself? Because anybody can see what happens. These kind of whistleblower people that it's not like they start living well. Where are all the whistleblowers who are kicking ass and doing great? There aren't any. They're in jails. They end up dead from these mysterious uh, events and things. 
where are the events where they whistleblow outside of fantasies and movies and things like that, where they get the girl at the end and the movie ends? Um, everybody sees in real life that if you stick your neck out in those situations, they're going to chop your head off. And so it's, yeah. it's, it's a very difficult situation to overcome, you know? Yeah, you get the Frank Serpico treatment. I mean, that, that was a cop in New York City. There's a movie with Al Pacino who plays him, and he, uh, you know, supposedly, my father actually knew him, but his, uh, you know, he didn't want to take the payouts and the dirty cash, and he tried to be a straight-edge cop, and then they sent him in a setup to have his uh, bl uh, brains blown out. They tried to get him killed. So, I mean, that's what happens to real whistleblowers. A lot of the people we've seen over the last several years that are whistleblowers, they go on TV, all the, those are shield double agent disinfo agents. Yes. The, re the real whistleblowers get charged with espionage and thrown in prison. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the reality. And cops who deal in nitty gritty reality, everyday practical sort of, uh, well, am I better off, worse off, in jail, not in jail, more money, less money, beaten up, not beaten up. That's the kind of things they deal in. They see the reality that it's not this fantasy that you turn them in and you become a hero and you get you know hoisted onto everybody's shoulders and carried off the field like Rudy. You get taken out and... That's after all sorts of other bad things have happened. And you can't protect your family, certainly once you're gone. And even when you're around, you can't. There's just, it's not possible for one person to fight these kinds of systems. It's not even possible for a small group of people who give a shit to fight these systems. It has to be understood by a large group of people so that the system can't come back and do what the system is going to do. That's yeah. the only way it works. And and then sadly, on the uh, you know armed services side, on the military side, I know several people that served in the military, some people that I, I produce shows for and stuff. And the sad part that I see with those guys, again, many of them joined, like you said, for what they believe was the right reason. They came from a family of service. They believe it's patriotic. They're serving and protecting the Constitution from enemies both foreign and up. They usually forget the domestic part, but that's part of uh, the oath. A lot of these guys have these dark secrets of like classified missions that the government made them go on and they were know they were doing illegal stuff and killing civilians. Right. Like this is where the PTSD comes from. Many of them were involved where like they were on a mission and their whole crew died. I know these personal stories wow. and the government wouldn't give them their purple hearts because then it would be exposed. So they had to pretend right. that it was like wind that knocked their helicopter out of the clouds. And yet these guys still won't speak out. Like there's enough of them that they actually could speak out, but they don't because they're so brainwashed. I don't mean to insult you if you're out there, but so brainwashed that you believe that you're hurting the next uh, era of, of uh, servicemen. If you speak out, you could put them in danger. They're already in danger from the day they enlisted based on the stories that you've told me. We're all in danger. This is the reality people don't want to face is that unless we fix it, unless you face what's actually there, then you're in danger. The only reason the government hasn't completely and totally screwed you and me and any and everybody else is because right now it's, they, it's to their advantage to continue this illusion until they have the thing in such a situation such that it wouldn't matter if you found out, they can just push a button and it's over. 
And so until then, they're going to have all sorts of people who are going to be allowed to get away with all sorts of things that they can then point to as examples of so-called freedom and blah, blah, blah. But they're all just examples that are there for a good reason. And I tell people all the time, if the government wants to come and get you, there's literally nothing you can do about it. And they will get you because there's no way to fight them. And any of these so-called examples of people who fought the government and won, they're all bullshit. They're all total and complete bullshit. They're there for a reason. They're there to keep that dream alive. And all you have to do is look at all these suspicious deaths, whatever happens, two shots to the back of the head, suicide. Okay, what can you do about it? What can you do about it if someone, if someone gets killed uh, two shots to the back of the head, and they say it was a suicide. If, the, if they officially come out, I don't, there's nothing you can do. There's no crime to investigate. It's over. See, it's over, even though it's obviously not that. And they show it to people on these major scales with September 11th, the weapons of mass destruction. Go down the list, the stupid COVID crap. If the official story is an open joke, there's literally nothing you can do about it. <laughs> this is so they can take out anybody they want. They can just take you out and just say you had a heart attack. And like you can go get your own private autopsy. So see, it wasn't, it was actually killed by a gunshot. Oh, actually, the gunshot, it was there when you after he died. Now you can bring your own expert and show how it wasn't after he died. And it won't matter because it's not going to go anywhere if there's no so-called crime to investigate. You can't personally go and create the crime if the official people in charge don't say it's a crime. And so everything always leads back to that. And when you have a system in place like that, if it wants to come get you, it will. And there's nothing it can't do to you, including taking all your money, planning whatever they want inside your computer, um, the bringing up false witnesses, faking up video evidence against There's They can do anything they want. The only reason they're not doing it to us is because they don't care about you. That's it. If you make enough trouble for them, then they will bring way more trouble to you. That's the reality. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a bridge uh, to get into the Constitution, I just want to bring this up because, as you said, there's nothing you can do to protect yourself against the government. And this is an issue that comes up every two weeks, like clockwork, is guns, the Second Amendment. I always tell people it's a red herring. I figured that out years ago. Guns are great to protect yourself when you're walking down the street or maybe if three or four guys come to break in your house during the apocalypse. Once it gets over that, you're kind of screwed anyway. But the government supposedly has laser zappers that come down from satellites. Oh, by the way, they control your water supply. So all they have to do is poison your water. So, I mean, on this, do you see it that way? It's like, it's such a red herring that we're sitting here fighting over guns when the government has tanks and ballistic missiles. Yeah, I mean, clearly, if, if you had everybody, okay, if you really had a, a galvanized population that was armed with these kind of crappy weapons, that's really seriously problematic for the government because then the government would have to openly use it against so many people that the people in the military might not even be on board with continuing to follow those kinds of instructions. But the realistic practical use of guns uh, against the government is basically zero because even if you had like a small area that kind of people caught on, well, how would they be portrayed in the news? They'd be portrayed as terrorists. And it, their, whatever their story was, you tried to get out and some leaked out thing that they it wouldn't help. 
the people are not going to be on your side. They're going to say, you need to go through the system. So having the guns, all these people who think that somehow everybody's going to rise up and you're going to have a guns and that's why the government is so scared of it. No, it's true. They are, they are, they make you a more difficult target as a population for sure. They do, but they're going to prevent anything. <laughs> this is assuming the weapons that we're told they have, uh, you know, imagine all the stuff they have that they haven't told us. They could just wheel a sonic go weapon van outside my house and just turn the thing on. <laughs> what would I be able to do with a gun? I, I, oh. I, ah, horrible headache. I'm fainting. They haven't done anything. I, 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 no matter how armed to the teeth I am, it's over. If they wanted to be non-lethal, they want it to be lethal. What are my guns going to do? They just wheel up. They just a helicopter just comes up and shoots a fucking missile right into my house and just blows it up. <laughs> I, well, how am I going to stop that? You, you can't stop it. And so there's there. It's just so their 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 weapons are so overwhelming. It's it's like the Indians with a, a bow and arrow, you know, against somebody with a breech loading repeating rifle or something. It's like, dude, you don't have a chance. You're going to get slaughtered, and that's it. And two years from now, they don't even need to do that. They just turn off your uh, crypto uh, food coupon government tokens. I mean, they just turn it off. They go, yeah, turn right. your guns or you buy no food. You choose. I, you know, it's like, I, how easy is it? I, and, and I give people the example all the time. If they do that, how do you fight that? Do you, do you start shooting people at the supermarket? It's not their fault that the thing's not working. Uh, do you go down to some governmental agency and start shooting the people in there? Oh, it's not their fault. You're not going to be seen as a likable hero for killing that when they're going to show, oh, this is a mother or a father and this crap and a husband and oh, a grandfather and you just killed him, shot him down when they're, he should have filed a lawsuit and there's an appeal process that's event. That's, that's what you're going to get. And so as a practical matter, once they have that electronic shit and they can just push that button, you don't have a realistic way to fight it. You, you don't. Yeah, exactly. And I've been saying that to people for years. Look, if they ever passed a law, they were going to take the guns, which I don't think they need to do anyway, because we just talked about why. But you get two young cops. One of them is a basketball coach of your son's team. The other one's uh, wife is does the Girl Scouts with your wife right. and your daughter. And then they show up at the door. They go, hey, yeah, we got to take your guns, Dustin. You're eating you lunch shoot with them? your family. You're going to go into your gun safe, get a gun, come out and blast them away. And then for the rest of your life. Your kids grow up with a crazy dad who's locked in prison or the SWAT team comes and kills your whole family. I mean, that's right, the reality of you versus the government. It's not credible, right? And I've, I've told people again and again since the time this stupid COVID shit started when I started my podcast because I couldn't believe what was going on. And people try to feed me all that crap. I'm like, dude, that stuff's not going to work. Step through the actual scenarios as opposed to these sort of generalized, you know, pulled back from 30,000 feet Let's get down on the ground and say, well, okay, what are you actually going to do when they show up your door? What, what, how's it actually going to go down? You're going you to have a pistol on you right there. You're going to pull it out. You're going to go get your gun. You're going to actually just kill them. You think there aren't going to be more cops. How's it actually going to work? And there is no scenario where it actually works. That's, that's the reality. No, it's either you comply or you die. That's basically the, the rules that we're playing by. I got a huge amount of grief when I did a show uh, a year and a half ago uh, about the fact that 
Look, when I've exhausted every possible means to resist whatever their jab is uh, that they try to make me take, um, then at that point I'll get a jab and I'll have to, I'll have to roll a <laughs> dice with it because what is my option to get killed? Well, the jab may not kill me. And if it, if it turns me into some kind of crazy mutant, I can always kill myself. It's not like that option's been taken away. I can always kill myself or go on a shooting rampage or get butcher knife and, and death by cop kind of thing. I can always do that. And so people were so pissed at me about that. The idea, oh, you give up and you caved in. I'm like, dude, I went through the fact that I will do whatever I can to resist it. But if you get taken into custody, Okay, it's over because they will be able to overwhelm you. They can overwhelm these huge six foot six career criminal maniacs in prisons. They come in with a shield and these guys who are heavily trained and they're all armored up and shit. And they just take you down and they subdue you and then they give you the shot. That, that's what will happen. You either kill the people who come for you or you will get the shot. And I just don't think people are going to opt into killing people that come for them. It's not realistic. They have all those uh, research they did in World War II that showed only a third of the men in combat will ever even fire their weapon. So you're in combat. You've already been trained. You've got people trying to kill you. And only a third of the men will even fire their weapon then. The idea that large numbers of people are going to fire their weapon at police in their neighborhood, that's not credible. That's, that's movie-generated brainwashed fantasy thinking. That's what that is. Yeah, and once that happens, you better have your underground RV bunker because <laughs> that's the only your place life's you can over. run to. Yeah. yeah, your life's over at that point. You are you are the rest of your life. You're on the run as a fugitive. You, how's that gonna How's that gonna work? Especially if there's digital. How are you gonna get anything? How you? There's no, yeah, no part I, of it that's credible. No. And I, you know, I listened to that podcast. And I know what you're talking about. The the one that you just mentioned. Because I remember it was probably on my second or third day of binging your podcast. It might have been episode <laughs> like 20 or something. And uh, I didn't see it as you caved. I thought that you were literally like hunkered down in your basement. And you finally were blackpilled and came to this realization because I've thought about it two years ago as well. When Before the jabs were even announced. I said, holy shit, this is it. This is what they're going to do. What's the decision you know, what decision am I going to make? Because there's only two options. One is right. you're going to try to escape or go on the run and hide underground. Or two, you're going to end up taking it. If not, they're going to kill you. Then on top of it, I was able to see that they had jabs coming, uh, ability to access you by shoving a Q-tip up into your brain. Then they got right. all the Trumpers on board with ivermectin and these pills and those pills and these pills. And I said, any way you look at it, these guys are trying to enter your body. You know, and, right. and so they can give you whatever people feared this would be, whether a, an immediate death pill or a slow death pill or nano robots they're putting into your body or whatever it may be. They figured out how to get I, I mean, almost everyone I know that was not vaxxed because they were either just against it for common sense or they're like me. Many of those people I know went and got tests, force tested because they had to for work. So they gained access to your body one way or another. And when the test was already admitted to that, it like doesn't the PCR doesn't even work. 
and all these other ones have false positives, you go, well, why are they continuing to want to shove a probe into your brain? Like there has to be Scrub it around on your membrane next to your brain. What? I would never, the test was another one I was going to continue to resist until such time as I couldn't. That's it. Yeah. I wasn't doing any of that stuff until then. Um, You know, the reason I made that show was because, it was a bad situation. I was depressed. I was thinking, well, my life is, is over because I'm not going to take this shot. And there's not going to be an option. My kind of, it was kind of my, uh, I guess, a very <laughs> kind of twisted white pill in that, well, okay, well, look, worst case scenario is I've resisted as much as I can. All right, well, I'll roll a dice, you know, play a little Russian roulette with the jab or the thing. Well, okay, well, then I will because my only other option is it's over. And so, you know, maybe, maybe I get a blank. Maybe they don't kill me. Maybe I'm not really that susceptible, maybe all sorts of things, but whatever it is, I just kind of resign myself to that being my process, as opposed to, it's just, my life is over. It'll be Mm. like, well, I'm going to do it. And maybe my life won't be over and maybe it will, but I'm not going to at least, I'm not going to just put a gun in my mouth at that point. I'm not going to. And I'm not going to go out and just start shooting cops. See, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. I know me. I'm realistic about it. And uh, I just got so tired of having so many people tell me that they were going to do that. So many people tell me they're going to go out in this big blaze of glory. I'm sorry, but these people, they need to go read those uh, research papers they did when they checked on those soldiers in World War II and they the army was terrified that most of them weren't even firing their weapon. That scared the shit out of them. And they changed the way they tried to train people. If you're not trained, you're not ready. If you think you're just going to go on some shooting rampage because they're coming, that's not going to happen. That's a very rare person. Yeah. Like Rambo. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Highly trained murderer. He's a killer. He's been doing it forever. And even those people get all twisted, but some housewife, She's going to go grab a gun. Some dude that works at an insurance company, he's going to get a gun and just start barricading in with his family in the house. And well, That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I had a pact uh, about a year and a half ago. I had a pact with five people. I said, that's it. We're all walks of life. We knew each other. I said, we're not getting it. After about a month, I was the last one standing. So. <laughs> there you go. Close, I go. swear to God, my brother-in-law's father, he's like this hippie. He looks like George Carlin. And uh, he goes, no, man, I'm not doing it, man. I'm not going to do it. I'm not taking it, man. Screw Joe Biden, man. I don't care what my wife says, man. And a week later, he goes, yeah, I got it, man. My wife made me get it. I went down there. At least they gave me a real nice sandwich and a donut, though, man. I'm like, wow. oh, my God. So let me just ask you, because another big theme on your show, and this is for anybody who still believes that the Constitution's going to save us. It's just in the wrong hands. The wrong people are in power. The fact that we're going to restore America, I don't even, I've been saying this for years on podcasts. I don't even know what that means. Like, what America? In the beginning, we were 13 colonies, two and a half million people, only a half a million voted. Now we're 3,000 miles wide with 700 military bases around the world. So, like, what America are we saving? What are we restoring? Right. You bring up this point that the Constitution either was not strong enough to prevent what is occurring or it was designed to uh, allow what is occurring. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Cause you talk a lot about that in your podcast. Uh, you know, my personal opinion about it is that it was planned. 
that they knew exactly what this additional so-called small additional power was going to do. It's not small additional power. The step up from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution is huge. And the ratification vote is unbelievably sketchy uh, in addition to the, the entire writing process. But I don't think there's any way that a, a sophisticated lawyer, which the, a lot of those people were, can read that document and think that that document is not very easily abused, um, that it's not going to be a limited government under that. It's just not going to be. And the only way to keep it limited under that is to allow any state at any time to simply leave. And that, I think, was an assumption of anybody who was foolish enough to ratify that thing, actually vote for it. I think they all had the general assumption that, of course, you can leave as a state at any time. That if you don't like it, if it's not benefiting, you can leave. Now, they should have seen what the uh, Congress did to Rhode Island uh, to get an idea of why they're probably never going to be allowed to leave because of all the strong arm tactics they used to get them in. But regardless, I think you could have a case that a large number of people believed it was fine because you'd always have the option to leave. I think that's the only way to make it into a stretch that that document, as written, could ever not turn into what we see. Right. So how did the push go from the, the Declaration of Independence, which is really like a list of indictments against the king, um, go from there to the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution? So for people that, that haven't really studied history or the founding, they just like to uh, parrot things that they've heard at school or that Mark Levin taught them. How did they right. jump from Articles of Confederation, which was a bit more limited to the Constitution? Yeah, I, I think I think trying to figure out exactly what happened is probably impossible. And I'm never going to study it closely enough because I would never believe I have the information in front of me. Because whatever, whatever I would use would be a limited resource that would, I mean, how much... How much is available today if you want to go find out? How did they ever get Obamacare through? How are you going to find that out? What information is really going to be available? And this is the digital age where you've got just, it's difficult to ever get a hold of real information. And even if you get documents, which is the best you can ever get, is a document, you don't know it's in somebody's mind. But the problem I have with the way that it's taught to people, and this is, I think is the important point in, in what you're asking, from at least the way I would answer it, is that people, can, do they have it in their mind that there was this war kind of for the Constitution to, to have America? Okay, that's not really what it was about. It was, it was basically a land scam. The entire place was a land scam. And when they prevented the colonists from continuing to move westward in like the mid, it's like 1760s or something like that, the, the king passed this this rule that you couldn't go past the Appalachian Mountains. Well, a lot of people were counting on it. And a lot of the people who were agitators for the revolution had a lot of land, so-called, way out west that they'd never been to, that they owned and that they supposedly had rights to. And so the, I think the massive motivating factor for it was, was land. But even if you want to assume there was a decent number of people who just kind of liked being free and didn't want to be screwed around with, 
that's not that credible to me with these tiny T taxes and things like that. But anyway, you get enough people going with this kind of uh, same kind of way you used to get people to join the military to go fight uh, Saddam Hussein uh, with, with just a, a series of lies the same way they got, they got people to fight World War I and World War II. There's a propaganda war about what you're supposedly fighting for. And so there's a lot of people who are just fighting for something that's not even true. Nobody else who's running things are fighting. But it doesn't matter anyway. You fight for it. You finally win. Um, they, they love to tell us that George Washington could have been king. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. If you look at what the colonists chose, which is the Articles of Confederation, extremely decentralized, very unpowerful sort of conglomeration of the states. That's what they fought for. And then they had a period of time where they operated under that for multiple years. It's not like six months later they had the Constitution. It wasn't an interim thing that they did that for now. We're going to get the Constitution going. There's nothing like that. And then they, they dreamed this Constitution thing up totally illegally. They had no authority to do any of it. I tell people all the time, it's the equivalent of uh, Bill Gates and Ray Kurzweil and, and the Google people and that Yuval guy and all these other people going into a room and working secretly for weeks at a time and coming out with a document that tells us and saying, well, we've figured out how we're all going to be freer now in the future, and this is what we need to do. You have to be highly suspicious of the men who were in there because tons wouldn't even go. And so what ended up happening is they teach the history as though we had this problem with England about taxes and we fought the Declaration of Independence, which was really just a PR campaign to try to get France and other countries to send us goods and, and, and war type of uh, materials. It was just a sales brochure. And then we won. And then we had the Constitution. And they kind of had this little footnote about Articles of Confederation as though the Constitution was this sort of inevitable thing where we'd be this massive country. We're going to go forward and all this other stuff. I don't think you could have found anybody who was on the front lines up there fighting for anything like a major country that would then go around the world and do shit. They wanted to be left alone. That's what most people were fighting for, to be left alone and to go out and be able to get land out there if they can, you know, wrestle it from the Indians. And that's just not the way it's taught anymore. And so people don't understand how we even got to the point we have the Constitution and all the very fundamental things that are different about it from the Articles of Confederation. Every single one of them is a huge game changer. And the fact that you have all of them in there, there's no way to make it work. So there's, there's no way to make it work. Oh, 100%. And the way that you just explained that is great. It, you know, you go back and if you're researching this, I mean, your research is only going to be as good as the documents and the credibility and authenticity of the documents <laughs> right. that you're studying. And that's what I tell my audience. People will, there's a lot of podcasts that cover this, you know, black nobility going back to this and the Illuminati. Are you going to do that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm actually dissecting what the technocracy, what the technocrats today are talking about and researching right. through companies they form, public companies, technology that's actually being built, money is being invested into, so that we could try to figure out where they're going with it and then how you're going to navigate it because I don't think you're going to beat it. There's no armed resistance. There's no revolution. There's definitely – I don't even know – more than two people that are organized to, to bitch about it. And so I, I, I'm like, I'm not going back into all that because I don't know if it's true. And say I can go all the way back and find a vampire king back there, and he's the guy that pulls the strings. What difference does that make at this point anyway? I 100% agree. I, I tell people all the time because they want me to talk about that kind of stuff. I'm like, look, 
Tell me what kind of piece of evidence you could ever have that would be conclusive. You can. You don't even have evidence that it's not aliens running things at the top. And what evidence could you ever have that would show that it was in fact was aliens? If someone came out and said, I'm an alien, I'm in charge, would that be the evidence? Well, how would you know? If someone, if you found a document that said there's aliens in charge, is that is that really proof? Can that cannot be faked? What evidence can you ever have about these kinds of things? You can't. And so I always stick with the stuff that's observable and you draw conclusions from what you can observe happening. And, you know, the exact reasons for why they're doing it, I can't know. I don't know what their motivations are. I don't even know who they are, but I can tell that there is a centralized theme that continues to move in a centralized single direction. And you can draw conclusions from there. And that's it's not nothing. It's not like we don't have any information. The very fact that we don't have any open discussion of these things is a very important piece of information. That alone is an important piece of information. It doesn't give you an answer to which side of the thing it comes down on. But if someone doesn't want you looking into, if you're not allowed to look in, if they make it difficult to look into, if they make it kookified, that, that alone is a very important piece of information. Of course, it could be a uh, smokescreen. And they use those things all the time. But then it just goes back to my original point, which all this time is you can't know. There's no reason to waste too much time in those areas because you're never, ever, ever going to get any proof that you could say is this is absolute proof because you have absolute proof of almost nothing. Even stuff you actually see, you don't know. That could be a hologram. Everybody's seen the killer whale jumping in the uh, gymnasium. That's what they show the fucking schools. Imagine what they have. Uh, you can see a video. Okay, what does it prove? Could be a deep fake. Could be anything. It's very hard to have so-called proof of anything. And as a result, the systems you use where you, you go through and you take what can be kind of called publicly, that can then be sort of corroborated with action that's consistent with what you see. Okay, well, now you're getting something that's at least usable. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it's helpful. You know, it's helpful. It's practical because you have to build that stuff up. And most people, they're not comfortable with it. They want a story because that's what they're so used to. They want a story that's true. And they want, they want all these, these explanations. If you tell someone something happened, they'll say, well, why? Like, dude, we're never going to know why. What does it matter? Is it happening? The spray is a classic example. They spray me all the damn time. As soon as I bring that up to someone who doesn't know, well, why would they do that? Uh, <laughs> go see if they're spraying first, okay? If they're spraying, does it matter why they're doing it? Well, to some degree, but it's much more important questions are how much are they spraying? What are they spraying? Who's paying for it? Why is it being covered up? All those things can be found out. Why they're doing it, I, I don't know. Go down the first few roads and then you'll find out. The Constitution, the Black nobility, the we're a corporation, not an organic con, all those things, they're just giant distractions ultimately that just, they, they paralyze people and do both clear thinking and any kind of action that could actually help. Well, yeah. And then the thing is, you bring up the spraying. I reviewed an article in episode one of this show from 2016 on the tenets of the fourth industrial revolution public 
published at General Electric's website that was on the employee blog, basically prepping these people for uh, whatever crazy technology they were about to tell them to build. And they talk about geoengineering right in there. Klaus Schwab's got it written into his books. You know, China's admitted to cloud seeding. John Brennan, our former CIA director, is on video talking about it. So people want to argue over, uh, well, what's the mixture and uh, the, the steam in the air? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> stop playing semantics. They admit to geoengineering. Hey. Now, the other thing is, you know, it's funny that you mentioned people want this complete story. A lot of people get hooked on, they want to look under every rock and find every boogeyman. And, and I'm sitting here going, look, we don't even have to look into any conspiracy theories. This is not a conspiracy. That's more than two people meeting in a room in secret to try to achieve a common outcome. They meet at the World Economic Forum. They meet at Bilderberg, and then they put their videos right on youtube for you to watch like there is no conspiracy elon musk goes on joe rogan in 2018 50 million people watch it and he sits there now people were stoned out of their mind taking mushrooms and smoking dmt because that's what rogan tells all the kids to do when they watch his show but you're sitting there watching musk literally talking about drilling a hole in your skull and putting a bluetooth device into your head like what other boogeymen do people need? I don't need to right. know if this stems from the black nobility. I know that Elon Musk wants to put a chip in my head, and you sit there and go, well, MAGA, 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 he's a great guy because he tweeted that he wanted to lower gas prices. Right. And then, and then they go, but where's the bad guys? He is the bad guy. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very frustrating in, in, in a large measure. I, I tend to think the 80-20 rule is in effect that really 80% of the people, they're just, they're not reachable. And you don't need them um, because they'll follow. They're, they're followers. And so the 20% who you can kind of theoretically reach, I'm not saying we can reach them, but they're reachable. Uh, that's, that's, I'd say, about all there is out there. And most of that 20% I'm never going to be able to reach or talk to, but they would be reachable. And they're plenty. It's plenty of people because that 80%, they go from, uh, you know, saying he got to wear a mask to because the mask is going to protect him and the vax is going to protect him to the vax. Of course, it doesn't protect you. Of course, you're still going to get it. You got to take more vaxes. And of course, the mask doesn't protect you. They, they just flip back and forth. It doesn't make any difference. They just repeat whatever it is they're kind of told, to, sort of the, the true NPCs of the world. And that's the bulk of them. And the people running things, they know that they manipulate that gigantic crowd and then they get them on their side. And it's really, really hard to, to, to fight a mob like that. It's really, really hard. You have to, you have to get a, a decent movement going. You have to get a significant number of people on your side and understand that that 80% don't waste much time trying to convince them. They will come over to your side as soon as you convince the other people and get the thing moving. Then they'll, mm -hmm. they'll just sway over. That's what they'll do. Oh, definitely. Now, to, to just put an end to this Constitution stuff, as you bring up a lot on your podcast, if there's people that still want to believe that uh, we're a constitutional republic and this government is looking to protect our freedom and our liberty, if you want to believe that that document, the original document, in any way is designed to protect our freedom, then you also have to understand and believe that that concept completely died during the Civil War, do you not? It's, there's no way that's, and it's precisely why I don't spend too much time trying to determine whether it was good intentions or bad intentions. Yeah. I think it's most of the people who pushed for it were, they didn't have good intentions. That's why they kept the, the record secret for decades. 
and all this other stuff. But whatever it was, whatever the intentions, if it was intended as a freedom machine, a voluntary union of people who joined together, uh, oh, it wasn't the people, it was the states, whatever it is, if some voluntary anything, it ended in the Civil War. It, there is absolutely no way that we have, since that time, had a country that's based upon a voluntary agreement of the people or the states in the country. It's not possible because there was a war fought to supposedly hold the union together, but that is a complete and total logical impossibility. You can't have a war to hold a voluntary union together of any sort. Whatever, however good your motives are, and that's you, know, you get in that whole the complete load of crap about going down there to free the slaves. It's not what it was fought about. Uh, it's a very small portion of the Southerners even owned slaves. It's like 25% owned any slaves at all, and that's like most of those people only owned one slave. And the difference between the slave and the person who was owning the slave in those circumstances wasn't very much. Uh, it was really like a poor day laborer kind of situation or a maid um, kind of slash butler. Only it was like 1% or something of the South. Or they owned the vast majority of the slaves. They owned a bunch of slaves. So the idea that you could motivate a group of people to fight when 75% of them don't even own any slaves, but they're not going to blow their house up and everything else for slavery when they don't even own a slave. They're more, they'd be more likely to turn and fight on the side of the North if they thought that was about it, if they thought they could improve their position. And again, it doesn't matter what the war is fought over. You want to go down there and fight to free slaves? Go ahead and do it. But don't, at the end of the day, then claim that we have a country that's a voluntary union and that voting matters and everything else because they voted to leave and left. If your vote counts for anything, and you can't vote to leave, then your vote doesn't actually count. Right. <laughs> just, there's no way around it. There's no way to avoid it. And that's why both sides, the red and the blue, always love on the Civil War and why if you go to the Washington, D.C., all you see is stupid Lincoln crap and all this stuff. And you see it on TV all the time. It's constantly referenced all the time. They have to turn that thing into something it wasn't. They have to keep people snowed about that event because that event is proof positive that we no longer have a constitution that has anything to do with liberty, freedom, and a voluntary union where there's consent of the people. It, it's just not possible. Now, what was the, the pivot point in your life, uh, you know, as an attorney, uh, as someone had to study constitutional law? Like, what, what was it? At what point was it? that you woke up? I mean, did you started on the side of on the right as a conservative? And big then, time. Yeah. yeah. I was a big time constitutional conservative for decades, uh, all the way through law school, and even out into my practice. And what changed me was one, once I started practicing, I got to see a lot of what the practice was really like. And it was really pretty terrible. Every single place I went, I saw a different kind of corruption uh, at every level. And so that started making me wonder. But when I finally got access to the internet, that's when I was able to actually get information that could sort of counter the standard stuff. And I started seeing these things that didn't make much sense. And then when a friend of mine gave me a copy of Lysander Spooner's No Treason, sent me to that, uh, there's been nothing left since then. I mean, it was in very short order. I pretty much read everything the guy had ever written. And that was 
constitutionally, that was kind of the absolute end of the line for me. And I've just spent years seeing that there's literally nothing to the constitutional conservative argument. Literally every single piece of it is just nonsense. And I, I, I shred it in my podcast. I mean, I, I think I pretty much shred every kind of aspect of it because once you understand the fundamental deceptions that they're putting out there, like the idea that you consent to this government, um, once you understand where does that actually come from when they tell you it's a contract. And then as a lawyer, I know what a contract is. This is not a contract. They tell you that they're your agent. Well, they're not your agent in any form or fashion. They don't meet any of the descriptions of them. And they, they talk about all these very vague things about consent and representation and freedom and limited government and this and that, the Supreme Court being a law of the land and all this crap. Uh, nobody would agree to any part of the system that we're told we live under. No rational person would agree to any of it unless they knew they were in the majority and would be able to use that system to get what they want. And since my, almost every position I hold is a minority position, and most people hold many different positions that are minority positions. I happen to be unusual. The vast majority of my positions are minority positions. Probably every position I hold is probably a minority position. And most people aren't like that. Most people have, they get some of the stuff they kind of like from government and the other stuff they don't. And they, they kind of have some minority positions, but there's, there's literally no representation for a minority position in our system. There's none. I ask people all the time, how am I represented? <laughs> if I don't win the votes, then I don't get it. What good does it do me? And I constantly give people the example of the dinner, where if your friends kind of all want to go to eat dinner, there's four or five of you, and you don't really want to go where they want to go. Uh, well, would you ever have a group of friends where they just decide to vote and then you have to go wherever they want? And they also voted that you also have to pay for their dinner. Um, would you consider that to be a voluntary arrangement you'd stay in? No. You wouldn't, but that's the position that I'm in all the time with the government. They have a group of people that vote to do things I don't agree to, and then they vote I have to pay for them. And then they tell me, they have the nerve to tell me I've agreed to this situation and that if I don't like it, I have to leave because I have agreed to it. And that's the basis supposedly for the whole system. And so once your eyes are open to very fundamental questions, you see that the reason you never thought about it is because those questions are never asked. And they're never asked in the public because there are no answers. If you do ask those questions, the system falls apart. And they're never going to allow the system to, to fall apart by openly letting people debate the kinds of things that I talk about or that we're talking about here. This one, no, you have to marginalize it. And then they send the trolls and the shills and the bots after you on Twitter to call you a, uh, a Russian agent. I know there's a bunch That's of right. people that are always defending you. You're a Russian <laughs> agent because you figured out the truth that right. sheds light on this whole situation we're in right now where our government, let's just take your stuff and my stuff, our government is not protecting us from a worldwide technocracy that should be treated <laughs> as an outside invading force 
never mind these communists and cultural Marxists everyone's been afraid of. You literally have mad scientists, engineers that want to connect you to an AI hive mind. And our government not only isn't doing anything about it, they're funding it through InQtel, which is right. the CIA's hedge fund that invests in Silicon Valley, in which there's a website. You can go read it. This is not a secret. What gives no. our government the power to fund a hedge fund to <laughs> buy up tech companies, one, blackmail tech companies, strong-arm tech companies, and then even start tech companies? I mean, Google Maps, Google Earth that people drive around with every day was a company called Keyhole started by InQtel. Like you're driving around with government GPS, CIA GPS in your car, and people sit here and they go, oh, this stuff isn't happening. You're crazy. I'm like, it's all around you. Yeah. I, you know, that whole, I did a little three parts, I think, series on national security and what it is and, and how absurd it all is and how totally unconstitutional all this crap is and all that kind of stuff with the Incutel stuff. That's all just, it's all under this giant sort of, coverall called national security that there's never even defined in, in any of the systems and documents and laws. And so they just label it national security. And then apparently they can just do anything they want. They literally have no authority whatsoever to be a hedge fund. The, the federal government can't do that. And just calling it national security doesn't change it. If they want that authority, they have to go get an amendment. But you know, when national security is literally anything, they, they talk about things like uh, uh, trans, all that trans crap. That, that's now another part of national security. And so when you can extend out national security, which no one can even tell me what it means uh, to any and everything, and then it's unquestioned and you can't get documents and you have no idea what's happening, um, you're not in charge of that. See, that, that's the people are not in charge of the government. There's no way to make that case that we're in charge of it when they don't have to explain themselves to anybody and they just do anything they want. And if you still think the government's your friend and on your side, you're just you're oblivious to the reality all around you. Well, and most people uh, believe the government is on their side when their party's in power. So, I'm like, you know, all, all these people, for instance, that uh, let's say that just you know, hated Donald Trump. They were on the left. They were Democrats. They hate Donald Trump. And they go, we have to turn in our guns, turn in our guns. I'm like, turn in your guns to who? The guy that you just called Hitler? Like you're going to get, because he's the guy in charge of the government that you perceive he's in charge of the government, right? Because you hate the government right now because he's in charge. So you're going to give him your guns. Trump is, it's like that. So, and then on the right, as soon as Trump's in power, everyone on our side loves the government. They love it. Right. We love it because Trump's, in, well, now they're not listening to Trump. Now I hate them. I hate them. I'm like, can't you just stay consistent and we can hate the government all together a hundred percent of the time. Right. All right. It's so crazy. They're so convinced the government does all these things in it. All the stuff you see is a result of government. It's just, it's so difficult for people to see what it would look like without it and how it could develop. And, you know, the people running things, they know that. And so it's very, very difficult to unwind the situation. Very, very difficult. But certainly the very first step is you got to win people's hearts and minds. You've got to have people understand the situation that they're facing. And then you can start realizing, okay, what kind of steps can we take? What realistically could be done at this point? Until you can get people to honestly face the problem, 
there's not going to be any kind of solution. It doesn't matter if it's an individual solution or a group solution. It's not going to be one if you're not trying to solve the actual problem. It's not going to work. And that's why voting under the system will never work. Exactly. And I think between what you're talking about and the stuff I talk about, that's, that's, I listened to a lot of your show. Uh, I, I did podcasting in the past, but you're one of the shows that gave me inspiration for kind of the direction I wanted to take my show, the style and how to break things down into common sense points, walk people through the truth uh, based on the facts and the evidence that are available to us. Because if you don't understand the truth, if you don't accept the truth, then you cannot look at what's coming in the future. And until you can see what's coming in the future, there is no way you can develop a plan, a solution, even in your personal life, let alone try to organize a large group of people around it. You know, so 100%. I think it's very important what you're doing. So you've got a movie coming out and uh, you've got a Patreon and some other stuff going on. Yeah, we got a movie coming out. I, uh, I've never done any kind of movie or anything, but a guy who likes my podcast, Andrew, he's kind of organized the whole movie and uh, it's uh, written by Larkin Rose. And I played Mr. Jones. It's called The Jones Plantation. A lot of people are probably familiar with it. The Freedom Movement, it was a little tiny animated short that uh, Larkin put out a decade ago or something. And uh, he ended up writing a screenplay about it. We put it together and it comes out this fall. And I think it's going to be really, really a great medium to try to sway some people. Uh, I hope people support the movie, watch it, make it make a bunch of money so we can make more like that. It's kind of an allegory about going from uh, debt, from chattel slavery to debt slavery on a plantation. And we put everything in there. I think it'd be pretty entertaining. I really do. So I hope people do support that. That's great. And then uh, your podcast, I mentioned a few times, it's the Quash, Q-U-A-S-H. Was there about 60 public episodes right now? I don't know how many there are at this point. I've made a couple hundred. Everybody in my Patreon has access to all of them. And I do a live show in there every couple of weeks for them. I take the calls and uh, from the people who are in there, we have some fun. We have some pretty wide ranging topics. And, and I put, I put a lot of shows out in public pretty much every week. I put it out on Sundays and then sometimes I put out a bonus on Thursdays and uh, there's, Believe me, anybody who just listened to the material I've made public, they would understand a lot of what's going on. The vast majority of people, uh, you know, once you start following and you start understanding that there's really no answers for the issues I raised, that it's not a matter of speculation and having to go do a bunch of research. I just lay it out with the facts that are undisputed. One of the things I think is the most helpful way to do it that I've decided is one, you ask questions, but two, I always use the official narrative I'm given. Let's just look at the official narrative. I'm not going to get into whether the official narrative is true or not. That's, that's a minor point. I, I show you that even using the official narrative that we're given and whatever kind of facts they are in whatever kind of circumstance, they're never consistent. They never make sense. And so the official narrative can't be true because it doesn't withstand scrutiny. You don't have to go do research. You can just take the information they're giving you and see that that information as it's put together does not in fact make any sense. And, you know, once you have that, um, logic is the best evidence. It's better than direct evidence. Logic is the best evidence and there's no escaping logic. And so whether it's eyewitness testimony or something else, that stuff can all be fake, but logic once you have the logical position and once their position is proved to be totally and completely impossible and illogical, that's when people's brains explode and they get very mad with me because the cognitive distance has a clash at that point. 
and they don't want to face. And so they just start the name calling and uh, the other absurdities. And, uh, and that's fine. Like I said, they're probably part of the 80%. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think with the information you put out, uh, there's two reasons why people should, should follow you and, and listen and study to what you're talking about. Because one, you can utilize it to try to wake up those few people around you that are looking for answers. They're great talking points. Uh, you know, again, don't waste time with people that you don't have a chance with. You try, you got to try to organize people in your personal life, in your community first and then second, right. it's really for you, because until you fully understand what's happening, sort of where we came from, why this is going on today and where we're going in the future, you're really no good to anyone else anyway. How are people supposed to follow you as a leader if you really don't understand? And if you're walking around thumping your chest saying, my constitution, my constitution, the founders, you know, I got a couple of them uh, <laughs> Uh, up here because I was uh, like to make fun of them. It's, you know, <laughs> you, unless you understand this, you can't go help anyone else. You cannot, right. unless you're financially stable, you can't go give money out to charities. It's just not the way right. it works. You have to put your own mask on first when the plane loses uh, <laughs> pressure. You have to, you have to take yourself and understand your own position. Your position needs to make sense. And you, if, if your position really makes sense, it's it's usually not that hard to explain when an explanation is very complicated and requires all it's usually because the person doesn't understand it that well if you really understand a subject you can make it pretty straightforward you can give them simple examples you can point things out and once you have that that knowledge that the system is not what you were told. Once you understand kind of the way I understood for so long that the system is a total fraud. Once you know that, not just something you kind of say and kind of think, you know it and you, you can just go through point by point of why it's just a complete and total load of crap. There's a, there's a shift in your, in your mental abilities and stability. And at that point now, you can actually start doing stuff that might work, might help. You can make a real decision. At least you have the information in front of you and maybe the decisions and the options you have aren't so great and, and you're not very happy with the options, but you can know at least that you're dealing from reality. And that itself to me at least is comforting in that I have no chance if I'm dealing from fantasy and I have maybe some chance if I'm dealing from reality. That That's the best I can do. I can't create a whole new world. I have to deal with the world I've got. And and the best way to do that is to face the facts. No, I agree with that 100%. I mean, you don't need to be an optimist or a pessimist. Be a realist. And then not only are you coming from a place of reality, you can come from a place of truth. And you can tell yourself the truth. And like you said, you may end up with a set of options that aren't ideal. They right. aren't ideal. But once you know those options today, you may still have time to change the outcome by doing right. some things that allow you to have better options. For sure. You don't know where that might lead to. There's no way to know. But if you're if you're not even in dealing with reality, you're doing stuff that does has no chance. Then you have no chance. This stuff will never work. You have to deal with reality. Yeah. The reality is you have to get me elected. Unbelievable. It's going to be great. <laughs> so unbelievable. Wear the mask. Don't wear the mask. Put on the mask. Take off the mask. Get the jab. Beautiful jab. Unbelievable jab. Stupid jab. I have never said this, but other people have said this. Legal man knows. Everyone knows. The whole world knows. Mike knows. Even Maria, our host on Friday, knows. 
that we need to put on the mask, except I'm not going to wear it. It's a stupid mask. Dumbest thing. Put it on. Take it off. Unbelievable. It's going to be great. Great show. Legal Man, The Quash. It's a great show. One of the best. I've never listened to it, but it is my absolute favorite show. So great. So great. Believe me. Believe me, folks. It's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Legal Man. I really appreciate your time. And uh, people need to check you out at The Quash on uh, all the podcast platforms and on Twitter at U.S. Law Review. And then uh, join the Patreon because in all cases with people that are dedicating their time to do the research and provide you with information that we have uh, spent our time researching and putting into stories that we can tell you and try to explain it to you, you know, it definitely goes a long way when you contribute a few bucks here or there or join monthly. So is there anything else you'd like to say before you take off, sir? Nah, I appreciate it. It's always fun. Always fun. I think you should start wearing a legal man cape. (laughs) I I am going to have to get a little better branding. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got the legal man cape. Say legal man, purveyor (laughs) of the constitution with a symbol with Mark Levin on it. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think he'd like that. (laughs) As long as you pay him a lot of money, he'll be fine. Right. All right. I'll see you later. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Take care. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.